chapter 11. Open your... And uh, it is so good to be back with you yet again. I know uh, Sandra and I, we were home on the 6th uh, for service here. And then actually this last week, uh, we try to take our family vacation um, the first week of August. And uh, it kind of worked out that way this year. And so um, our anniversary is August 5th. And so I really wanted it to be either August 27th or September 27th when we thought about that, that time of year. And the reason is my birthday is December 27th. Sandra's birthday is June 27th. So why remember a whole other date? Just put another 27 in there and I would never forget it. And so, but Sandra didn't want to make that easy on me. So we went with August 5th, which makes complete sense. Um, it was kind of a blur, the wedding, to be honest. Uh, Twelve years now, uh, she's been blessed with my presence, and she is so thankful for it. Um, every day, she wakes up and tells me, thank you for another day I get to spend with you. Um, that may not be the full truth, but it's close. Um, but no, so we were uh, on vacation this last week, and um, or well, rather the 7th through the 13th and then back in the office this last week. And so hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, Josh McDonald, Pastor Josh, coming and speaking with you. And uh, just a tremendous guy. Uh, known him a long, long time. And uh, he is uh, a very intelligent uh, man. And he, he loves this church. He loves the Word of God. And he loves preaching the Word of God. And so I tease him a little bit because we're completely different in how we preach. Um, I can't stand still most times. And all he does is seemingly stand still. Uh, if you guys were here last week, he probably just grabbed onto this right here and just just went. And so hopefully you guys enjoyed having him. Uh, it's a great guy. Uh, TJ was saying, he asked him before service, what kind of mic do you prefer? And he said, well, I'll never move so that one on the pulpit is fine. So that'll work. So, um, but no, he is such a great guy and uh, we're so glad, I'm so glad that he was able to come up and share with you the word of God and you got to know him better. And so, um, but we are home now and we do not plan on going anywhere for a while. So we're just so thankful. Uh, how many of you guys like routine? You like every day to be kind of the same, more or less. Everybody gets tired of it, but you, there's a sanity to it, right? Like there's just this comfort in that I know I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. It's going to be great, okay? Uh, when you're on vacation or you're traveling or things like that, it's great and you enjoy it and it's a lot of fun, but isn't it nice just to go back to the routine? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we've been doing it this last week, so we're really excited about that. Um, school starts up here uh, in a week or so, and the kids are really excited about that, I can tell you. Um, actually, Anthony is really excited about school starting. Um, Josiah, not so much. And uh, they were talking about that, and Anthony's like, I can't wait for fifth grade. And Josiah was like, ah. Oh. So that's the two personalities right there. Anthony's super excited because he gets to spend time with friends. And Josiah's like, do I have to go to school? Like, is that really required? I like to just stay home and play video games all day. No, not really. But no, it's going to be a great time. So, so excited for this coming school year um, and just excited for what the Lord has for our church family. Um, once the summer winds down, I know a lot of people are traveling on vacation right now, getting that stuff in before the summer ends. Uh, it seems like summer just started. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys, be praying about this coming school year for our kids' ministries, our teens. Uh, it is such a rough time for them to, to go to school for some of them because they have so many influences that want to pull them different directions, even with our young kids. Um, my son's going into fifth grade. and starting to kind of sink in just the things that life throws at you, even as you're young. And so just be in prayer for our, our kids' ministry, our teen ministry. Uh, Word of Life starts up here in a couple of weeks with our Wednesday night program. 
uh, just be praying for that ministry uh, because those kids need your prayer and support, love and encouragement. Um, not your criticism and not your they should haves or they why didn't choose. Uh, they just need you to surround them with love and support and encourage them that way. So hopefully you'll partner with us as we do that. Uh, we are really excited for what the Lord has for us this coming school year as we get back into the normal thing of, of September and get back to normal. Um, one thing I will throw out there too, just a little bit of a side note. I'd love to do, and we don't have all the details yet, but something in September I've been kind of praying about is, is kind of like a back-to-church Sunday. I've seen some different churches doing this and heard of people doing this, and I would love to just encourage you, be praying about what that would look like. Um, we're not going to do a big special service. It's not going to be a big, you know, dinner and all this stuff and hoopla. Uh, we just want to have a normal church service where we are people. And I look around, these are all, you guys are all kind of all the regulars for the most part, and people that kind of been here a decent amount. Um, I want us to just kind of know what we're doing. And you just begin to to saturate your community, your neighborhood, your workplace, uh, as school starts up for the students that are here, your schools. And I would love to see people just be invited out to service. Maybe they haven't gone to church in a while. Maybe they used to go to church when they were younger and just kind of fell out of it. I would love to see uh, that time be a time of just kind of a back-to-church Sunday. So we'll let you know more about that as we get closer to it. Uh, It'll be sometime in September, I'm thinking. Uh, But like I said, it's not going to be anything we're going to promote per se, uh, but it's something that we'll know kind of what we're doing. And so hopefully you'll partner with us in that. This morning, I'm so excited to be here with you guys, and I'm so excited to take communion with you. Uh, Honestly, one of my favorite things to do as a Christian, not as a pastor or whatever, but as a Christian, is to partake in the Lord's Supper. I don't know if anyone else is like that. You just look forward to it. Anyone? Anyone look forward to that? Okay, a few people. Here's why. Because I feel so close to the early church when we do something like this. I don't know what it is. And I know some churches have really kind of, kind of missed the boat on communion. They've kind of overemphasized certain aspects of it or underplayed it. Uh, this is not um, going to give you merit with God. This is not going to make God love you more because you take Lord's Supper. Uh, this is just a time where we can come together and we can remember what Christ did for us. Remember the sacrifice that he gave. And I don't know about you, but when we come together as the body of Christ and we collectively take time And we can do that every day, by the way. We can take time every day to remember what he did for us. But when we come together with the Lord's Supper, it's just a great time of reflection and prayer. And so before we even get into the message, which I just want to share kind of an aspect of communion that I love, other than just remembering. But if there's something that you have between you and God, there's an unrepentant sin. Uh, There's something that God's been convicting you about that you know he's convicting you about, but you just haven't given it over to him yet. Maybe you're battling with something, or maybe you're giving in to something, or maybe you gave in to something this last week, and now you're dealing with the guilt of that decision. Then maybe in just a moment when I pray, that you'll just take a moment and just say, God, I just want you to just kind of cleanse me right now. God, I want you to purify my heart and my hands. I want to just be washed anew, and I want to reflect on those times and think about you. I'm asked that you forgive me of this sin, or I'm asked that you take this guilt away as I've repented of this sin. And I don't want you... Because here's the other thing, the negative thing that we can do at a time like this, is we just do it to do it. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Like the cup gets passed, and so you just take a cup, and you pass it on, and you sit there, and you wait. Okay, maybe you pray a little bit, and then you wait for me to take a drink, and then we all drink it together. And then, you know, the bread comes before that, and you take the bread, and you do your thing, and okay, this is great. It's so easy to do that in church, isn't it? Some of you, I'm just being honest with you, because this is me at times. If we're not careful, some of you, if I asked you, and you don't need to answer out loud, if I asked you, I said, what was the first song we sang this morning collectively? 
Some of you could tell me, oh, I know exactly what it was. By the way, the praise band doesn't count. You guys can't play this game, okay? You're like, I know what it was, okay? And we're not going to answer it out loud as far as asking people to answer that. But some of you could remember. You would know, I, okay, I don't know the name of the song, but it talked about this. Some of you, if you really were like, what was the first song we sang? Because it's so easy to just come into church and just do what's in front of you and then just let it go out in one ear and out the other. Some of you will partake of the Lord's Supper, get in your car, and pick up the argument you ended before you got here. Some of you will go right back into whatever sin it was that you left when you left home this morning. Some of you might make it a day or two and then slip right back into it. I mean, let this time be a time of not just reflection, but maybe rejuvenation, a time of just revival in you, that if you've grown apathetic in any way, that this would be a time where you say, Lord, I'm sorry for that, and I ask that you give me a, a new focus, a clearer focus. Because communion, the Lord's Supper, it's not a time of merit. Okay, some denominations give you uh, what's called a holy communion, where they say it's this marking in your Christian walk. Uh, the Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches us only one way to salvation. It's through Jesus Christ alone. You could take Lord's Supper every day the rest of your life. Without Christ, you're dying in your sin and going to hell, the Bible says. You could come to church every day, serve in every ministry, tithe everything, give to the poor. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me, he says. This is not salvation. This is not gaining you salvation. What this is, as a follower of Christ, though, it's a beautiful opportunity to remember and worship what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. That over 2,000 years ago, he was murdered for sins he didn't commit. He was crucified and beaten, was buried in a borrowed tomb. But just like Sandra's song talked about this morning, he rose again. I love the opening line to that song by Matt Marr. Let no one continue, basically, let no one continue in that sin with inward shame holding you back and just burying it down inside. Man, let go of that this morning. You see, this morning is about remembering what Christ did for us, about remembering the beauty of the cross, which in reality isn't very beautiful to look upon. But for those of us that know Christ, it's not foolishness, it's salvation. So I want to encourage you this morning, before we even get into the, the text and we pray, I just want this to be more than just a Sunday morning to you. I want this to be more than just, I just went to church because that's what we do. And I know I say that a lot of myself or of our church. I always mention that often. I'll say things like, you know, let's not just go through another Sunday morning. And the reason I say it often is because I know I'm tempted often to go through a Sunday morning just as a Sunday morning. Some of you have had a crazy week with a lot of stuff going on. Some of you still are thinking about something else that's a struggle or a stress or a trial or you're thinking about this bill or that bill or how am I going to pay this or how am I going to take care of that. Don't leave those at the door. Give those to Jesus and he'll take those cares. Some of you have family members that are struggling in their health and you're just like, Lord, what are you doing? How are you going to heal this? And while I'm preaching, you're not even listening because you're focused on that. Just give it to him. Say, Lord, I'm going to cast my care, my anxieties on you because you care for me. I want to encourage you to pray. As we're going to pray in just a moment, pray for the Dye family and the loss of, of Mandy, Renee Corbett's sister-in-law. Pray for Bob Dye and just, and just what he's going through. Pray for Mandy's parents and what they're going through. 
See, for them, man, life became really real, really fast. And so this morning, I guess my point is, don't, don't let this slip away. Don't just go through the motions and then maybe a year from now, or two years from now, go, man, I wish I could go back. And really invest in that time. Christianity is not a spectator sport. So this morning, we get to get hands-on with the body of Christ. We get to get our, our hands kind of, in a way, dirty as far as we're going to get involved. We're going to be active in this thing. And so I'm going to pray. When I close, when I have you bow in prayer, I want you to pray just a couple of things real quick. Is there anything you need to give to the Lord? Anything that's hindering your walk with him right now? Any unconfessed sin? Anything that he's getting your attention on? He's saying, I want you to give this to me. Maybe you've sinned in the near past or the far past, and it's still holding you back. Maybe you need to let that go this morning. Maybe there's another struggle or trial, and you know it's going to distract you. You know it's going to weigh on you, and so you're just going to give it to him when we pray. And I would definitely ask that you would pray for Renee and, and her family as they've gone through this tragedy of losing Mandy this last week. And so would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Let's just ask the Lord to speak this morning. And as you bow there, you just begin to talk to him. You just begin to ask him, God, what is it you have for me? Father, we just ask that you would be real to us. We thank you for the reality of your word. The truth that we find within its pages. We thank you that you are a God that cares for us, a God that loves us so much. And Lord, as we come together this morning to celebrate and to remember what you did for us, your body being broken for our sins, your blood being shed for the remission of sins, I pray that we would not in any way, shape, or form minimize or marginalize this time, but it would be our sole focus that throughout this service leading up to the time of communion, that we would continually be allowing the Holy Spirit to form us and to speak to us and to convict us and to encourage us. And Father, if there's anyone in this room that is holding on to a sin, unrepentant, unwilling to change, I pray that it wouldn't be my words that would change them. It wouldn't be this time that would change them. But that, Holy Spirit, it would be you that changes them. It would be you that pricks their heart and opens their mind to what you have for them because of your great love for them. I pray that we wouldn't be driven to the cross in fear. Although we do need to fear a holy God, I pray we'd be driven to the cross when we understand the sacrifice, we understand the love that was extended, the grace that was extended to us, that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray that we would just respond to you this morning. Those that don't know Christ, I pray that they would open their heart to you and find your salvation by receiving the gospel. Simple belief and faith, confessing sin, just understanding that you truly are the Savior that died for our sins and receiving the free gift of salvation, asking you to save us and committing ourselves to you. For the believer here, I pray that there's a struggle, trial, whatever's going on. I pray they give that to you, Lord. And I pray that we would do this with an open and pure heart, an open mind and clean hands as we partake of this time together. Lord, speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, look at verse 17. 
the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, communion, whatever you want to refer to it as, is a time to remember, as we've already talked about. But even so, there's another aspect of communion that I greatly enjoy, and it's that time of community, that time of coming together as the body of Christ and sharing in this time together. And so while it's a time of reflection and evaluation and just praise to him, it's also a time of great community and closeness and oneness in the body of Christ. Look at verse 17 as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He says this, Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's rebuking or correcting them in the behavior as a church in regards to the Lord's Supper. Paul starts by saying, I praise you not. If they're hearing this and reading this, they think, well, maybe Paul's cool with what we're doing. Maybe Paul's okay with how we're handling this. Right off the bat, he says, I'm not praising you. I'm not glorifying you. I'm not telling you it's okay. By the way, sometimes in a relationship and in love, you have to tell someone, it's not okay. It's not unloving to bring someone's attention to something in their life that is not okay. We get this misconception all the time that grace is not bringing it up. Grace is ignoring it. Grace is letting it slide. No, no, no. Paul says, trust me on this, church. It's not okay. And he has to bring their attention to this because if he never gets them to understand it's not okay, he can never get them to understand why they need to change. When you share Christ with someone, you can't lead them to salvation without them understanding they need salvation. When you receive Christ for yourself, did you just go because, well, I, I mean, I'm pretty good, but it's just in case, insurance. When I found Christ, I realized, man, I need Jesus. It wasn't like, well, I'll kind of have him as a backup plan. You know, kind of like you have your medical insurance and you got your auto insurance and the auto insurance has medical included. That's just a backup insurance, just in case. It's, no, Jesus is not backup. He's everything. You didn't come to Christ because you kind of needed Jesus. You came to Christ because you realized you were lost in your sin and with no hope you needed him to save you and to intervene and to work on your behalf. So when you share Christ with someone, they have to understand they need a Savior. It's not optional. It's, I mean, it is optional for them. They have a choice to choose to accept or deny. But in the end of the day, man, they need to understand this is your only shot. This is it. He's everything or he's nothing to you. There's no in-between. And I wonder so many times if we present Christ that way. Or if we kind of leave it in the sense of like, well, if you feel like getting saved, maybe you should someday. Man, Paul says, you need to know this is wrong. I'm bringing your attention to this. I don't remember who it was. But one of the older theologians, I don't know if it was Jonathan Edwards or Someone around his timeline said, if you preach 90% law and 10% grace, people will find salvation. Now, what he meant was not preach law like the binding law. What he meant by that was preach the truth of the consequences of sin. If I had a cure for your terminal disease, how long do I have to talk about the cure for you to receive it once you understand that it's terminal? Not very long. 
If I sat you down and said, look, you've got this disease and it's going to kill you. You have this much time to live and this is what's going to happen and here's how it's going to look and here's what's going to take place and all of this and I'm going on and on and on. And then I said, but wait, there's a cure. Would you look at me and say, I think I need to think about this. I'm just not sure if I really want to go that route. Sounds like it might be a little inconvenient for me at this time. No, if you understood, you would just jump out of your chair and say, yeah, I want it. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. How long did Jesus have to have a conversation with her before she said, give me that living water. Give me the thing that will make me never thirst again. I need it. Because see, Jesus understood that it wasn't an option for her. She needed it. Paul here is trying to get the church to understand, listen, I am not praising you. This is not okay behavior. He goes on here and talks about the condition of the church. See, as we talk about communion this morning, I want us to understand this time of community, this time of closeness. And the first Corinthian church was missing out on that. They weren't enjoying the closeness of the community. So what was the condition of the church as they came together? The first thing we notice is they were divided. They were divided. They were making divisions among themselves, the rich and the poor, the spiritual and the not so much. <laughs> I mean, you can come, but you're not really as spiritual as we are. Before observing the Lord's Supper, they would have a meal. I mean, we're talking like a potluck, okay? And if there's one thing we understand, it's potlucks, right? They'd have this huge potluck service kind of meal, and then after the meal, they would have the Lord's Supper. Just time of commemorating or observing what the Lord had done. And it was during this meal that all of a sudden these divisions started to come in. All of a sudden, people started grouping up together and sitting together at certain tables. And you have to sit at those tables and we'll sit at these tables. And it's like high school cafeteria, only like way worse. Okay? I don't know about you, but there's nothing more weird than being the first time walking into a cafeteria of a new school. What's that feel like? terrifying. Where do I sit? Who do I talk to? Where do I don't sit? Right? Like, what's going on here? Okay? Is that the cool kid table? Is this the kind of cool kid table? Is that the nerd table? Where am I going? This is what it was like in the first Corinthian church. They were just divided by all these boundaries and borders, and it was just, if you don't fit in in our group, you got to sit somewhere else. And then it actually says that they were getting drunk at the feast. To the point where if a rich person came in with, say, two or three crockpots of meatballs, like saturated in barbecue sauce. Can I get an amen right there? Some of you guys haven't had those before. You're not really testifying. Those that are testifying know what I'm talking about, okay? And you got a poor person that comes in with nothing, and you sit there and you just put all those crockpots right in front of you, and you just mow down. And this person over here has nothing. And they're just sitting there hungry. They actually have no food to bring because they have no food. And Paul says, why would you do this? Why would you divide like this right before you're taking up a time like this? It doesn't even make sense. They were so divided. But actually, there was a blessing in this. If you look at the verse, it says here in verse 19, For there must also be heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Well, Paul is saying here, these divisions actually can be a good thing in one sense, that it actually starts to identify who are truly spiritual and who are in the world or thinking like the world. Because it's going to be manifest. You're going to see the evidence of it. You're going to see the fruit of their actual beliefs. Let me just stop right there for a second. Whether you want to or not, what you believe will produce fruit of some kind. 
And so when people are looking at your life, what are they seeing? Because you can say whatever you want, but what are your, what's your life saying? What are your actions saying? Because it's going to be made manifest in your life. People are going to see you and realize, man, he says this, but he lives this. And I believe if Paul was writing a letter to you or a letter to our church, he'd say, in that regard, if that's you, I don't praise you in that. You see, they thought they were fine. The church thought everything was good. They were just going through the motions, doing their thing. But the Apostle Paul makes them very much aware of their error. And I think that's kind of the scary thing to me. I mean, think about the First Corinthian church. All the issues they had, and there's a plethora of them, there's a ton of them. They didn't even really know they had the error. That's why Paul has to say, I praise you not in this, because he's writing to them, and they didn't even know they were doing wrong. I mean, that's a scary thought as the church, that we could actually do church completely different than what Christ said and just keep doing it over and over again and think everything's good. Just, I'm showing up to church. What else do you want? I even put some money in the plate every now and then. I mean, what really do you want from me? I mean, you want me to actually go out and live this stuff out? You want me to go out and actually disciple people? You want me to go out and actually share Christ with people? I'm like, that's crazy. Who does that? I mean, I go to church. It's crazy to me that Christians could live in a way that is contrary to what Christ laid forth and not even know anything is wrong, or at least not admit that anything is wrong when they know it is. They would go right from a feast where they divided, were drunk, just angry with each other, bitter with one another, and then they'd go sit at the Lord's table and expect to have Lord's communion like everything was fine. And what's the big deal? It is impossible, the Apostle Paul says, to take the Lord's Supper with so much division and contention in your hearts. So they were divided. Also, we read it, he says there was false teaching. Paul concludes that the only way this was happening, the only way the people were this divided and this messed up, was that there had to be people that were teaching the wrong thing. The proper teaching of the church was not being taught, but a misconception of what was going on. The teaching was showing itself in their actions. So they were divided. There was false teaching going on in the church. And here's the thing, too. It's not saying that the pastor was teaching false teaching or that, that the speaker, whoever they were at the time, whether it be Peter, as we read about in the early part of 1 Corinthians that had some time in this area, no matter who it was, Apollos wasn't teaching false things. What it's saying is there's heresies among you. What does that mean? That there were people in the church that were just talking and talking and talking negative or wrong things, and that's how it was spreading through the church. You see, false teaching doesn't just come from up here to out there. It actually goes from among you as well, if you're not careful. Paul says there, there had to be. There has to be false teaching somewhere because why would you be doing this thinking it's okay unless somebody was telling you it's okay? Man, we got to be on guard, not just by who preaches in front of us, but by who whispers in our ear when we're sitting in our seats. And I'm so blessed as I say that. I'm so blessed because we are in a church that that doesn't seem to be a problem for our church. Now, once upon a time it was. I'm just being honest. Once upon a time it was. Man, I'm so blessed and so thankful. Sandra and I talk about this all the time. The love in our church is just amazing. 
Man, I don't have people coming to me saying, oh, I heard about so-and-so and I heard about this and blah, 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 blah. I don't hear that anymore. For a couple years, I did. But for the last few years, it's, it's like it's not even there. And how crazy awesome is that, that God is restoring our church little by little to where you are starting to figure out, man, we ain't got time for that. We ain't got time for that stuff. We need to be focused on what God has for us. We need to be the church starting now. And that's why I get so excited for what God has for our church. Because I see the fruit. I hear the stories. I see the maturity in our church. And it gets me so excited. Because I can see God's going to do something great and is doing something great in our church. Paul was telling the church here, listen, the only way you're going to get so messed up is if there's wrong thinking, which comes from wrong teaching. They were divided. There was false teaching. But there was also the evidence that they were not being the body of Christ. They were not being the body of Christ. They might have been going to church. You might have even called them a church. Right? Like if somebody walking by the door of the Corinthian church would have said, oh, that's the church of Corinth. They identified as a church, but they weren't being the church. They weren't living as the body of Christ. These actions, the false teaching, the division, and all these things were not reflecting Christ in his heart at the Last Supper. If you had to tell me a descriptive word, just one word, that would describe Christ's mannerisms, Christ's attitude, Christ's heart at the Lord's Supper in the Gospels before he was crucified, what word would you choose? Think about it for a moment. If you had to give me one word that described Christ's heart during the Lord's Supper, when he's there with the disciples and he's breaking the bread and he's drinking the wine and he's doing all these things, what word would you think of if you could have given me just one word? Someone give me, give me a word. What, what would you think of? Servant, humble, loving. When Jesus decided to lay aside his robe and wrap himself in a towel, get down on his hands and knees and wash, wash the filthy, dirty feet of his disciples. And nothing summarizes the life of Christ on earth for me other than that image, that scene. That's what Christ meant when he said, I don't come to be ministered unto, I come to minister. I said that one time years ago to somebody, and I kept saying, you know, we need to be ministering for the body of Christ. We need to minister one another. And this person, a mature Christian, not a part of our church, but just a mature Christian, looked at me and said, you keep saying this ministry thing. We got to minister. We got to minister. What does that even mean? I was, I was literally like, like my job. You keep saying that. What is that? Guy's been saved for probably 40 years. And I didn't know how to answer. I, uh, I said, well, when, when you put yourself in the back seat and you put someone else in the front seat and you kind of start serving them and loving them and just ministering to them, being there for them. And they're just kind of, oh, okay, well, yeah. And you know what it reminded me of? When the guy comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do to be saved? And he says, do all these things, follow the law. What does the law say? And he says, I've done all that since my youth. It's kind of what I thought of. This guy was just like, oh, yeah, I mean, I do that all the time. Yeah, the humility is just pouring out of you right now. It's so obvious how humble you are, right? It's so hard to be humble when you're so perfect, right? Isn't that how it goes? Man, we got to be so careful that, that we're not just going through the motions, but that we're living out the body of Christ. And if we're the body of Christ, then wouldn't it make sense that whatever Christ would do on earth, we should be doing as the church? 
Like, is that a stretch for you guys, or do you think I'm pretty much on the right page here? If Christ was here physically on the earth, I want you to think about what would Christ be doing? What would Christ be teaching? What would Christ be saying? How would Christ be living? And then stop and think, okay, I'm the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Am I doing the things I just thought of? And by the way, Jesus wouldn't just be walking around with this perfect smile on his face, all the time glowing, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. That's not Jesus. That's this like hippie 60s Jesus that got created. I don't know what happened. Those of you that lived through the 60s, we'll talk later. Apparently it was a crazy time. I don't know. A little bit before my time. That Jesus would be real with people. And he would love them, but he would tell them the truth. I think Jesus would be more concerned about building his kingdom than his constitutional rights. Can Can I just throw that out there a little bit? Sometimes we get so wrapped up for those, just the craziest things. Are we living as Christ? And if we say yes, then do we really believe that? I'm not talking about perfection, because listen, there's nobody perfect. Perfection isn't the goal. Faithfulness is the goal of life as a Christian. Your goal as a Christian is not to be perfect. Your goal as a Christian is to be faithful. That's what the Word of God encourages And here this church thought everything was good, but they weren't being the body of Christ. They weren't living it out before the world. So what was the church supposed to be? We know they were divided, they had false teaching, and they weren't being the body of Christ. So what were they supposed to be? Two things, real quick, before we get to the communion. Verse 33 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians says this, they were to be unified. Unified. Look at verse 33. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Tarry one for another. This is a unity that should exist in the church. This word tarry, some of your translations might change it to say the word wait, to wait for one another. And I don't know if what you think of, but when I think of wait for one another, I think like I get to the dinner early and I'm just waiting. You know what I'm saying? I won't start eating until they get here because I don't want to be rude. Okay? I don't, that's not what it's talking about, though. What it says, wait there, the actual word or the phrase there, to wait or to tarry, means to receive and accept. To receive and accept. When you go deeper into that word, into the Greek language, it actually means to take by the hand. Let that sink in for a moment. Paul's words of encouragement to the church is, when you come together to eat for the feast and the Lord's Supper, I want you to tarry for one another. I want you to wait or I want you to take one another by the hand. I don't know what you think of, but I think of just somebody leading someone into this time of intimacy, leading someone into this time of fellowship. That's what it's saying there. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or seemingly spiritual or seemingly unspiritual. You just kind of wait for one another. You come around one another. You lead each other into that fellowship, into that time with Christ. The idea of Paul's words is to lead one another into unity that is the church. To think of them before you think of yourself. Paul says if they couldn't do that, if you can't do that, he says in the text, then don't even have, or don't even attend, rather, the feast. He doesn't say don't have the feast and don't do the Lord's Supper. He says, but if you can't change your heart by the power of Christ in you, then don't even show up. It's better you just stay home and eat. That's what he says. Like, that doesn't preach today, though. Many people wouldn't say that. Nobody would say, just stay home. They'd be like, oh, please come. <laughs> but Paul says, if you're going to do it with the wrong heart, you know what? It's better you don't even show up. 
So why don't you just stay home and eat, and then you can come for the Lord's Supper after. And if you got the wrong heart, don't even come. What does he say in the beginning of the text? Look at verse 17 again. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. You know what he's saying? You guys are coming together, but it's not doing you any good. It's actually doing worse. It's, it's, it's a negative when you come together. You know why? Because if I believe a wrong thing, and you believe a wrong thing, and he believes a wrong thing, and she believes a wrong thing, and then we come together, what are we affirming? The wrong thing. So we're actually building this wrong narrative, and then we're living that out, and Paul's going, man, no, 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 time on, time on, time on. It's better you guys stay away from each other and stay home than come together, because when you come together, it's not doing anyone any good. And if you can't wait for each other, if you can't take one another by the hand, I heard a story about a woman that was in a church, not our church, but in a church, and she was sitting in the audience, and the invitation came, and everybody stood, and they were singing probably I Surrender All or Just As I Am, just guessing, okay? They're standing and singing. And she sees this woman, just maybe two people down from her, just weeping and weeping and weeping. And she doesn't know her, really. I mean, they met a couple times, but didn't really know her. And she just feels the Holy Spirit saying, just go take her by the hand and go pray, pray with her. Just take her by the hand and go pray with her. You need to. She's not going to go on her own. You need to do this. Just that prompting. You guys know what I'm talking about? That prompting that comes from the Holy Spirit. Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've never experienced that. If you know Christ as your Savior, the longer you know him, the Bible says the more you will know his voice. And his voice he chose to speak through is the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. And as you begin to listen to that voice and follow that voice, it will get louder and louder and louder. But here's the negative on that. If you quench that voice and you quiet that voice, it, he will always speak. It will never stop the speaking from the Holy Spirit. It will continue. But you just won't hear it as well because you've silenced it. You've quenched it. And some of you have felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do something or to say something or to pray for someone or to go somewhere. And you've told him no so many times. When I say that, you're like, man, it's been years since I've heard from the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about these visions or this audible voice in our heads. I'm talking about that inward prompting of the Holy Spirit that aligns with the Word of God. I know in the Baptist church, we're kind of scared of the Holy Spirit sometimes. But it's okay. He's very much real, and he's very active in his church. And so she felt this prompting of the Holy Spirit. She's like, man, this is not that kind of church. You guys know what I'm talking about? It was the kind of church where it was more serious than it was relationship. You know, we stand perfectly still and we sing just as I am with no emotion because we're here to worship Jesus. And we know Jesus is anti-emotion, right? We're just going to sing to Jesus. Don't you smile. Don't you laugh. This ain't funny. This is Jesus. So she's doing that, but she's just like feeling moved and like, what do I do? The pastor's right there. He's going to judge me. But finally, after seemingly forever, but probably just more like 30 seconds, she went over and she took the woman by the hand and just whispered in her ear, I don't know what's going on, but can I pray for you at the altar? She looked at her and she said, thank you so much. Yes, would you please? And they walked to the altar and took a knee. And they wept together and they prayed together. And it was just this beautiful moment. And they get up and they embrace and hug. And she's so thankful. She's like, I, and she told her later, I never would have done that without you. <laughs> now, do you have to come to the altar to pray? No, God hears you in your seats. But there's something about coming apart and just bending a knee and just saying, God, I'm just here for you. I don't know why that's true, but it just seems to be true. At least for me, when I bend a knee or I separate away from the normal, it just kind of brings meaning to it. I don't know why. So she gets up and she goes, and she's on cloud nine, right? Like, how would you feel if that was you and you were the woman that went and grabbed her hand? You're just like, woo, Jesus, let's go, God. You know, like, take the world on, right? Charging the gates of hell with a super soaker. You're just, let's go, devil, what you got? 
couple days pass, and she gets called into the pastor's office. And the pastor rebuked her. Not because she moved. Not because they came to the altar. Do you know what it was? Because she took her by the hand. And for two women to hold hands down the aisle, that doesn't look right. That's inappropriate in the house of God. We don't, we don't do that stuff here. That woman about lost her salvation. You know what I'm saying? She went up one side of that pastor, down the other. Just tore him a new one. Just went off. Man, why do we get so wrapped up in this junk? Like, why don't we just realize we're the body of Christ and we can just put our arms around each other? Now listen, if you're a guy here, don't grab the woman next to you's hand unless you put a ring on the finger, okay? I mean, if it's not your wife, don't be like, hey, let's go to the altar. She'll be like, uh, we're going to go somewhere and you're going to the ER first, okay? So, <laughs> but take your hand off me, son, okay? But what I'm saying is, and if you're two dudes, you can hold hands if you want, but that'd be really weird. Okay, so, no, but really, seriously, we need to stop thinking this, like, rigid thinking of it's got to be this way, it's got to look like that, it's got to be in this nice little box. That's right, that we decide. We tell God, you can work all you want. I want you to work as long as you just do it like this and look like that and do it during this time. And can you do it between 10.30 and 12 o'clock, please? Because i got a really busy schedule. I mean, we got to get in food lines, and it's just going to be crazy. Could you just work in this time? Man, we have got to be ready, as Paul says, to wait for one another. See, I don't think he was just talking about the love feast, which was the feast that took place before communion, or the Lord's Supper. I think he was saying, that's the church. You get this? I don't think he was saying, okay, just do that during this time. I think he's saying, that's the church. To be unified, to come together and wait for one another. Unity, by the way, and we need to understand this because this is, our world is just really messed up right now. Just everybody's mad at everybody and I don't think anybody knows why. Serious. We're just ticked at everybody. We're offended to be offended. I'm mad at you. Why? Well, because you sneezed funny. I don't know. It's just crazy. We're offended to be offended. But we need to understand this. This is something I think if our culture started to really grasp and understand, we would see a whole lot less violence and hate towards one another. One another. Unity is not uniformity. We are not all the same. When people tell you, oh no, we're all the same, they don't have eyes that actually see, apparently, because we're not all the same. And why would you rob God's creation of its uniqueness? To dare suggest that we're all the same. God is way too creative to make us all the same. You are way too unique as an individual to be thinking that you're the same. Now, we have the same rights, same freedoms, same opportunities, all that stuff. That's fine, but that's not what I think people really want us to believe. And we are not the same. And it's okay to admit that. I've only been married 12 years. Sandra and I are not the same person. That's obvious. Okay? Praise God. Because two Johns, would have, that would be like the world would implode on itself. It would be crazy. Okay? Two Sandras would be awesome, okay, because she's so gracious and loving and a blessing to my life. But two Johns, not a good idea. We are not the same person. Yeah, that was just because she's in here, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she leaned over to her mom and went, uh-huh, yeah, right, yeah. That's not what you'd be saying at home. Anyway. <laughs> Let's not go down that rabbit trail. Okay, so. Unity is not we're all the same and we all think the same way and we all feel the same and we all do the same. That's not unity. 
Unity is saying we are all 100% different from one another. Different likes and personalities and interests and all these things. And it's okay to acknowledge that and then yet being completely unique in an individual saying, but we're all going to come together with one common purpose, and that's the glory of God in Christ Jesus to build this church. And that's the beauty of the church. You remain completely unique. You keep all your individuality. You keep your personality. You keep exactly who you, God created you to be, but yet you come together under the guise of, under the banner of one name, one kingdom, right? One spirit. We're all one. We're not one in spite of ourselves. We're one because we are who God made us to be. And we come together in this beautiful arrangement, if you will, from God's hand to be the church. If division, and I want you to think about this, if division is the result of applying false teaching, then biblical teaching and understanding should lead to unity and a community beyond understanding. There's no community in our world that should rival the church. Closeness, intimacy, oneness. But the problem is that some of you, you don't see it that way. I don't see it that way all the time in my own life. You have more community with your coworkers, more community with your neighborhood group, more community with your PTA group, more community with your sporting club, more community with the guys or people you hang out with to play sports together, more community with whatever. You have more community outside the church than in the church. And so when I say that, you're going, well, I don't know. I'm not that close to people in the church. And if there's a, a negative thing against the church that I would say is just, I just hate hearing it, it's that. And we should be the closest to the people in the church. And if you were honest and you said, I don't have community like that with the church, then why? Why are you closer to others outside the church? You can have great close relationships with other people. That's fine. I'm not saying that. And we need those relationships. But when it comes to community, like true community, who would you better associate with than those in the church? Because Paul says that's what we need to be, so close and so intimate. James chapter 5 talks about the idea that we should pray for one another in such a way that we need to like know intimate things about each other and really pray earnestly for one another. In just a few moments, we're going to pass out the bread and, and distribute the cup. And I want to encourage you, if possible, as we talk about the idea of unity and serving and loving one another, would you do me a favor this morning? I just want to, I mean, maybe you already do this. When we distribute those elements, would you just serve the person next to you if possible? If there's nobody next to you, that's fine. But would you just maybe hold the tray for them so they could receive it first, and then maybe they would hold it for you? I don't know if you noticed, when we do the Lord's Supper here, the men are going to come in just a little bit, and we're going to take of the communion. When they come back with the trays, they will sit down, and I will serve them. And then after they, I serve them, I will sit, and one of them will stand and serve me. I don't know if any of you noticed this. That is not just... Tradition, that's, that's on purpose. Why? Because we need to be showing that and manifesting that, that we serve each other. And do you know how cool it is to be able to, to serve my brothers in Christ, the Lord's Supper, to spend that time with them? So we're to be unified. Lastly, real quick, we are to be honest. We are to be honest. Look at verse 28 of chapter 11. Verse 28. The church during this time, but I really believe as a whole, needs to be unified and honest. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Examine himself. 
Man, the Apostle Paul says, you want to know the real test? You can tell others all that you want to tell them. You can fool other people. You can fool the pastor. You can fool the church. You can fool everybody. But examine yourself, the Apostle Paul says, because it's not really for anyone else to know. It's between you and the Lord. Are you being honest about who you are before God? About where you are before him? Are you being honest in regards to sharing those things with him? He already knows them, but would you open your heart to him this morning? There must be a time of honesty, a time of individual evaluation between you and the Lord. And I believe that it is encouraged, not required, but encouraged when we are being the church and creating an environment of accountability as well as grace. Many people will not examine themselves before the Lord because they'll think they're okay. It's all good because churches have created environments where it doesn't matter if you sin or not. It's all good. But I truly believe that, that as the Apostle Paul says, we need to evaluate ourselves and as churches, we need to be encouraging each other in accountability and grace and forgiveness and restoration. Some of you might say, well, I'm not in any open sin, brother. I've repented of all my sin. I'm good to go. I, I had a pretty good week. I didn't look at anything I wasn't supposed to look at. I didn't say anything I wasn't supposed to say. Man, my wife annoyed me, but I didn't react in anger. I showed her grace, as Peter says. I did that, and, and I'm just trying to live for Jesus, brother. I'm trying to do what God calls me to do. Let me ask you, do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Do you have bitterness anywhere in your life? Because I'm going to tell you right now, bitterness and unforgiveness will be the two things that will just destroy you. See, we think outwardly a lot. What do I do with my hands? And we need to think about that. It matters what I say. It matters what I do. It matters how I live. But what's going on in here as well? He says, examine yourself. Be honest before the Lord. And the church needs to bring an honest environment into that as well. He goes on to say this and look at towards the end of the chapter there in chapter 11. He says in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, if you would just be honest with God and, and get it right with him as a follower of Christ, he's not going to need to bring chastisement into your life to get your attention. You've already repented and confessed of it. But then he says, but if you don't do that, or if God still sees the fit to judge you in some way, you're not judged on the basis of salvation. You're, it's not a salvation issue. He's saying it's a lifestyle issue. And he says, and if that happens, then God will still judge you and the Lord will bring judgment into your life, but not as the world receives judgment. What does that mean? It's not condemnation unto sin. It's restoration. It's, it's chastening of a good and loving heavenly father. Write it down. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 speaks of this idea that God is a loving good heavenly father and if an earthly father knows to discipline his children when they are rebellious or mischievous which i'm sure none of us have had to do with our kids ever um anyway so he says if god's good or if human uh, fathers know to do that then of course god would know to do that in our lives there are times that the lord has to correct us has to correct it has to because we need it but it's not a negative it's not a bad thing. It's, in Hebrews, it says it means you're his. It's proof that you are his son or daughter. And it's a good thing because the end result is closeness to Christ. If we would respond and say, God, thank you for this, and I pray that I would, I would repent of that sin. Thank you for bringing my mind to this. It doesn't seem like a joyful thing when we're going through it, Hebrews says, but it is a joyful thing. I like what one author said, and he said it well. Chastening proves God's love for us. And chastening can if we cooperate, perfect God's life in us. 
Chastening proves God's love for us, and chastening can, if we cooperate, perfect God's life in us. So is there anything that we need to be honest with God about this morning? Do we need to cooperate with chastening that he's already bringing into our life this morning? Is there already something that he's leading you to decide, to do, to commit? Would you make that decision this morning? Would you surrender that to him finally? As in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation, and then we're going to take communion. And as we have this time of invitation, here's what it is, simply. Um, the band's going to come. We're just going to, I think we're just going to do one verse this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about, God, is there anything that I need to get on the same page with you about? Is there anything that you're leading me to, to make a decision on? And I ask that you would just respond to him. This morning, I'm so blessed to be with my family to take the Lord's Supper. And you are my family. We always throw church family on there. But I think we should just say we're family. Why do we got to add church on there? Man, we're the body of Christ. We are one. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm so thankful to be able to spend this time with you. And I pray that you will invest in this time. And so would you bow with me a word of prayer as the band comes? And as we have a time of invitation, would you just respond to him before we take of the Lord's Supper? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that if there's anything in us that we need to, to confess, anything we need to share with you or be honest with you about to identify, to examine ourselves, I pray that we would make that decision this morning. I pray that we would no longer make excuses, but that we would turn over to you whatever it is that we're holding on to, and that we would believe that you are a God that can receive it, if it's a sin, you can forgive. May we receive your grace this morning. We are not saved by anything we do. We don't keep our salvation by anything we don't do or do. We are saved because of the person of Jesus Christ. I pray that we'd find that truth and live it out. Father, would you just be magnified and glorified in all of this? Work in our lives. If there's anything that we need to confess, I pray that we would do that now. Whether somebody comes and bows a knee at this altar or whether they're in their seats, I pray that you would lead God and direct. Thank you for your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As these guys lead us in a song of invitation, would you just respond to him? Whatever God is doing, whether they're in your seats or whether you want to come forward, just make a decision today to follow what he's leading you to do.